Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and we have a big show for you this week. First, I didn't mention this last week, which was really foolish of me, but I was on the Daily Tech News show EV Roundtable on Sunday. It was pre-recorded, but it aired on Sunday. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. I I'm, I'm, don't even know where uh, my brain was at in terms of uh, not mentioning that on the last episode. Um, I was on that panel with Tom Merritt, who's the host, Sarah Lane, who is also uh, the host on that show. And then producers Roger and Amos were in the background, kind of getting everything coordinated. Class act professional organization there at the Daily Tech News show. I had such a good time. The other panel guests were Allison Sheraton of podfeet.com, the Nozilla cast, and Rod Simmons from the SMR podcast, and then Howard Yermish from howardyermish.com. I'll put links to all of their stuff in the show notes. Uh, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. It was a really well done panel. For some reason, I sounded like one of those serial killers uh, in the movies that was talking to like the hero on the telephone. Not really sure why. Why I had such a hard time. But my technical problems were more than made up by the very smart people that were on the panel. Rod and Allison are two Tesla homes. So if you want a perspective from folks who have a Model X, a Model 3, both of them have Model 3s and a Model Y, uh, I highly suggest listening. And then Howard was a Hyundai Kona owner or is a Hyundai Kona owner. So he was able to give perspectives outside of the Tesla universe. All in all, very, very good roundtable. I really enjoyed being on it. And uh, yeah, I'm still glowing from last Friday when we actually recorded the show. And while we're talking about the Daily Tech News show, Tom and the team had some questions from listeners and he posted them to the panel. And I said, you know what? I would love to answer any questions that you have on the Kilowatt podcast. So Tom funneled all of those questions to me and the rest of the panel, of course, so I could answer them for you today. And I invited Jessica Kirsch to come on the show and discuss those questions with me. And we had a really good time. 
interesting <laughs> interesting note about that uh, chat that I had with Jessica is she had a woodpecker that you will hear on uh, the audio. I, I took as much of it out as I could, but she had a woodpecker just kind of banging on the side of her house. And it was driving her mad. She said it's been going on for at least two days. This woodpecker has just been incessantly banging its beak on the side of her house. And she said that it, it's maddening. And I can, I can tell you from watching her on the, the, when we were recording, she was just slowly melting into madness. Uh, we, we make a couple of references throughout the discussion, but just so you know, there is a, slight tapping noise in the background of Jessica's audio when she talks. We are aware of it. All right. On this week's episode of Kilowatt, we are going to talk about Rivian, Mazda, Ford, and of course, Tesla. So let's jump right into it. Story number one, Rivian is rolling out their own insurance program. Initially, the insurance program will only be offered in 40 states, but it will eventually expand to all 50 states, and I'm sure maybe Puerto Rico and territories like that. It covers off-road equipment, accessories like the camp stove and the rooftop tent, as well as you know the actual vehicle itself and everything that comes with the vehicle, uh, like batteries and brakes and things like that. Unlike Tesla insurance, Rivian insurance will also cover other vehicles that aren't Rivian and then weren't built by Rivian anyway. And then possibly you'll be able to bundle home, boat, camper, and dirt bike insurance with uh, their policy, which is great. Rivian divers could save money on Rivian insurance if they were to use, for instance, Rivian's Driver Plus Active Driving Assist program, Assistance Program, which is effectively like full self-driving, or Rivian's version of Tesla's full self-driving. It won't be full self-driving. It'll be like a level two, I'm sure. But in my opinion, this is a really good offering. Tesla is only right now in one state, and they're looking at expanding into three more states. So and and you can only insure a Tesla. Rivian is coming out of the gate and they obviously have a partner and I'm sure Tesla has an insurance partner as well. But Rivian is coming out hard. In addition to the insurance announcement and kind of along the same lines, they've also announced that they're developing their parts supply chain so that the turnaround on repairs is going to be much faster. This is one heck of a shot across the bow to Tesla. I mean, Tesla has notoriously struggled with getting parts to repair uh, facilities and the Tesla insurance thing. Yeah, they've they've done pretty well in California and they've reached out to other states to, to get approval. But as of right now, you know, they don't they don't really have, uh, you know, anywhere near 40 states for sure. So uh, good on Rivian. Hopefully they can get approved for everything. But We'll see how it works in reality because a press release is, is certainly different than, you know, actually putting these things into place. But hopefully uh, they'll be able to make it work. More competition in this space is exciting for us as consumers. It's just going to make it that much better. Mazda is shipping their first EV in the United States this fall. The MX-30, and I do mention this in the discussion I have with Jessica, and I think I called it the MX-8, but it's the MX-30 is a crossover SUV. The bummer part of the story is that the specs on this vehicle are pretty overwhelming. 0 to 60 in 9.7 seconds, 35.5 kilowatt hour battery, 
Why such a small battery? I'm not really sure, but that gets you an approximately 124 mile range. No word on price at the moment, but this vehicle will be able to charge from 20 to 80% in about 36 minutes. However, uh, if you're doing miles per hour of charging, I, I don't know that that's a good number. Uh, this vehicle uh, is obviously designed for somebody who doesn't drive all that far uh, in their daily driving. I do think that Mazda is a good company, and I think they're capable of, of developing a really nice electric vehicle. However, this does not uh, tick any of my boxes for owning a, a vehicle. It's it's pretty underwhelming spec-wise. Some Ford Mach-E owners are reporting issues with their 12-volt battery. This is a charging software glitch, according to Ford. So what happens is when you plug the car in, it charges the big battery, but for some reason discharges that 12-volt battery. And if the 12-volt battery is discharged, then it makes it impossible to start the car. So here, instead of getting a uh, an over-the-air update, here's how you have to fix your vehicle. Customers will need to make an appointment with the dealer and then bring it in, and the dealer will reprogram several of the electronic modules on the vehicle. This cannot be done in an over-the-air update for some reason, which is a real bummer and kind of highlights the, the legacy automaker way of thinking for software updates. Next year, Volkswagen will produce EVs that allow bi-directional charging. So it's basically vehicle to grid is what they're calling it. However, this naming convention seems problematic to me because utility companies don't love random energy sources feeding back into their system without them knowing <laughs> that it's happening ahead of time. So what might be a better way of uh, saying this bi-directional charging is vehicle to home. So basically, if you're at home and the power goes out and you're like, I'd really like to run the air conditioner because it's hot outside, or I really need to be able to do whatever task and I need lights to do it or whatever, you plug the charger into your car and then that your car will backfeed into your house and allow you to run those items. I don't know if it'll let you run anything like an air conditioning unit, but it'll let you run things like lights and maybe a stove so you can cook some food or whatever, which when, when things are bad, like when things are like really bad, you know, this is a, a better than nothing solution. It's not an optimal solution by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a better than nothing solution, especially when you consider where Brad and Sierra were in Texas. If they had this kind of technology and they had a charger at the house, they could have at least run like an electric heater in one of the rooms that they're in so that they could have stayed relatively warm versus, you know, living out of their car for three days. You know what? We have more Ford news. I probably should have put this <laughs> next to the other Ford story, but Ford has unveiled their new hands-free level two driving system called Blue Cruise. I think Blue Cruise is going to be rebranded because it's too close to a Viagra joke or the children's show Blue Clues, Blue's Clues, or some sort of hybrid between the two. And we just want to stay away from that as best as we can. Blue Cruise will be available later this year for the uh, for the Mach-E and the F-150. Interesting that it's going to go to the F-150. It looks like the price will be $3,200, which is downright reasonable when you consider Tesla's 
$10,000 price tag. $600 will be for the software and $2,600 will be for the comfort and technology package, which uh, includes a 360 degree camera, uh, heated front seats, and a heated steering wheel. One thing I should also mention is the people that were the first to buy the the Founders Series or whatever they're calling it of the Mach-E, I believe this is included in their package. So they don't have to buy anything extra. It's just if you bought it after a certain date, you'd have to pay for this extra package. Neo had a pretty good week in terms of news. They just produced over 100,000 vehicles. They had hit 50,000 sometime last year. So in six months, they hit another 50. So they're really hitting their stride. In addition to that, they opened a showroom in Oslo, Norway. And I think, and I couldn't find this out on their webpage and I looked, I think this is their first showroom outside of China. And Neo announced very early on that they would be bringing their vehicles to Norway but I don't think at this point that they've actually sold any vehicles there. I was, again, trying to find this information out, and I was not able to get the information uh, definitively one way or the other. They've also opened up their version 2 battery swapping station. There's a video on the Patreon feed, or will be a video on the Patreon feed soon. So go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com and take a look at that video. And then their first ET7 sedan body rolled off the assembly line this is just the body the et7 will be released sometime released sometime late 2022 the specs on that vehicle is it'll come with a 70 100 or 150 kilowatt hour battery zero to 100 kilometers or zero to 62 in 3.9 seconds and it'll be dual motor so uh when that car came out i think it was in november it is beautiful All right, let's take a quick break and talk about Patreon. That's how this show runs. So we have one Patreon level. It's a dollar. For a dollar, you get a sticker. You get a button. You get a handwritten thank you note from me. You get access to the Patreon Slack. And then you get access to all of the Patreon exclusive content. So if you want to check it out or you want to see what I've posted up there for everybody to see, because you don't have to be a Patreon supporter to go and look at uh, some of the videos that I've posted, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com. And thank you in advance for doing that. Let's talk about some Tesla news. Tesla's Q1 2021 earnings call will be Monday, April 26th. I'm really excited about that. As many of you know, if you're not a new listener and you're an old legacy listener, I love doing these earnings calls. It is so much fun for me. We find out so much information. I just get really amped up even just thinking about it. Uh, My favorite episodes, hands down, all year to do are these earnings call episodes. Um, I'm sure because there's been a lot of news about the sales in China and how much that's bolstered Tesla over this quarter. I'm sure Zach Kirkhorn, the CFO, will discuss this in one firm form or another on the conference call. So I'm going to save that news story for April 26th when we talk about earnings. Along those same lines, Elon tweeted that we should expect Tesla AI Day sometime in late July of 2021. In that, we could hear more about Tesla's neural net service, Dojo. You know, before I started this podcast, 
I would have thought that the battery technology in an EV was the most boring part of the the whole process, right? I would not have been that interested in the battery. However, as more the more I dig into this stuff, the more interesting battery technology is to me. And the AI, I always thought was going to be interesting. And now that we finally get to have the Tesla AI day, I was really excited about battery day. I am twice as excited about Tesla AI. Day. I mean, the um <laughs> Just the the amount of information they dropped on Battery Day was super exciting. AI Day. I'm really excited. Moving on. Not a lot to talk about other than it's going to be a good summer. Tesla is upgrading their Harris Ranch supercharging station. And then if you were traveling from L.A. to San Francisco, for instance, and you have a Tesla, you are likely going to stop at this supercharging station at Harris Ranch. Right now, there are currently 18 superchargers there. There will be over 100 superchargers when it's all finished. So that is a hefty update for the Harris Ranch supercharger. And since Sierra and Brad, as a general rule, pre-COVID, used to live in that Bay Area, that gives us the opportunity to go up and see them if we have a Tesla and a pretty good charging station. And that Harris Ranch area has all sorts of little cool things that you can go and do and have lunch. And the kids, there's a little play area for the kids and stuff. It's really well done over there. It looks like we're going to get some form of full self-driving and full self-driving subscription sometime in May, 2021. This is according to an Elon tweet. So I'm reluctant to go (laughs) to go all in because it was just a tweet. But in other full self-driving news, I guess Tesla is now moving away from the radar sensors and they're going to be relying on pure vision. What that means uh, is difficult to say. Some people are saying, oh, it's just going to be 100% cameras. Well, radar is technically providing some vision visual information back to the car. Um, so I can't imagine that they're going to get a, do away with radar altogether. I, I would imagine maybe it takes a back seat to it, but I just can't imagine that they're going to get rid of it altogether. But who knows? I'm, this seems to be the week of news. Though. <laughs> it's not a lot of substantial, like, sink your teeth, in, teeth into news. But then also, uh, there's a lot of speculation. There seems to be a lot of speculation, I should say. And then uh, this is kind of uh, one of those stories that, I don't like to do, not because it puts Tesla in a negative light, but because there's so many factors that uh, it's hard to make a judgment call one way or another. But according to uh, Electric, Tesla has hiked the solar roof price on some customers that were actually under contract. So they get their estimate on online. A Tesla representative comes out and says, yep, you're good to go. And we're going to go ahead and do this for, in one instance, like $77,000. And now Tesla is saying, well, now it's going to be $118,000. Now, in some of these cases, this is why it's difficult to talk about this stuff. Some of it might be perfectly justified, right? They might get up on the roof and they might go, oh, you know what? This is uh, This is a lot worse than we thought. However, before those contracts are signed, your Tesla representative should be really dialed in on what it's going to take to install that solar roof on 
the person's home. Because raising the price from 77000 to 118000 is not an insignificant bump. And I don't know this for sure, and this is why I don't necessarily like doing these kinds of stories. But in my mind, if you were off by that much and you had somebody come out and look at the house and you were off by that much, that's your fault. You're under contract. You signed a contract. You should probably own that the, the price difference, which is what, $40,000 almost? Like in, in the construction world, there's this, this whole thing of there's what's budgeted and what the, the, the project is actually going to cost. And this is the thing that irritates me is you, you have what you think to be a legitimate contractor who knows what these things are going to cost. And they say, okay, well, we're going to have, it's going to cost this much, but we want another $20,000 for contingency or whatever. And you've agreed about that before the, the project begins. And then when you get into a pro, in, in, in a lot of cases, like some friends of ours had their house remodeled, you get into the house remodel and they're like, well, we're out of money. We need more money. And at that point, it's kind of like holding you hostage. Like, what do you do as a homeowner when your house is halfway torn apart? And the person that you've given, let's say a hundred thousand dollars to is like, we need another $50,000. That's a lot more money, uh, percentage wise added onto that project. And, and why wasn't that, if you're a professional, I understand there's some things you're not going to be able to see, but there's also some things that, that you think you're going to think are very difficult that end up being fairly simple. So some of those things are going to wash, not all, but some. So for Tesla to send out a representative and say, Hey, this is what your roof's going to cost. Sign these papers. And then to come back and say, nah, we were wrong. You eat it. You're, you're a big company, you're a multi-billion dollar company. You eat it because you were wrong. And it, the amount of bad press that you are going to get from, um, charging that extra $40,000 is way worse for you than just paying the $40,000 or whatever it is. I can't imagine there's that many solar roof customers out there at the moment. And and on top of that, there's probably a very small percentage of these people who are having this problem with Tesla. I can't imagine that everybody is, but this is, uh, it's bad form. And Tesla's saying, well, it's complicated and there's a, a lot of things that go into the roof and all that good stuff. And I understand that. Again, they probably should have had that stuff figured out before they signed contracts. And that's where it gets me. Like you sign a contract, you honor the contract. I had to do, do the, the my backyard, my fake grass and my block. It was not cheap. It was very expensive. And this guy gave me a price. And when it was all done, it was that price. And he did a really good job. And there was no like, hey, I need more money. There was no, I need money up front. This guy didn't even ask me for money up front. He brought materials and labor to my house, put all of these fake grass in and block in for the price that he said. Those are the kind of people that I want to deal with. I don't want to deal with these people that are like, yeah, this is going to cost uh, $50,000 and then it costs another fifty to get it done. And that happens all the time in the building industry. But that's enough of me ranting on that subject. I have a question. I have a question for you, the listener. I want to make this show a little bit more interactive in terms of you guys giving me feedback, right? I'll say something that is, you know, maybe wrong or Maybe I'm off a little bit and somebody will call, will uh, email me and correct me. And I love that. Don't, don't get me wrong. As long as everybody's being respectful, I don't mind being corrected or giving constructive criticism. But I, what I want to do 
is I want to ask you a question and I want you to give me an answer back. And I'm going to tell you up front, I'm probably going to read your answer on the show next week. So if you email me, be prepared that I won't use your last name, but I will use your name and you'll be on the show. So here's the question. Should the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration implement stricter regulations for automatic vehicle technology? Now, I'm not talking about Tesla. I'm saying automatic vehicle technology as a whole, from semi-trucks to passenger vehicles, all of the auto manufacturers across the spectrum. Because the National Transportation Safety Board thinks that they should. And I know that that's a lot of word salad (laughs) to be throwing out here. I'm going to give you my thought on this. And then I want you, if you don't mind, to give me yours so we can create a little discussion in the community on this. Because I think this is an interesting question. I'm not going to do this every week. Just when it comes up, just when I think that there's something that's actually that's interesting to discuss as as a group. So here's my thoughts. These systems on some level should be certified that they meet the minimum level to be called level two, level three, level four. Like there are standards or there's an an outline as to what the vehicle needs to do to hit those that, that threshold between level three and level four, right? Or level two and level three. But I don't know that the in national highway transportation safety administration overlooks any of that process. <laughs> I don't know if they they even certify it is like Tesla is certified as level two or does Tesla just say they're level two based on everything that I read in terms of the the different levels of autonomy, Tesla's a level two but almost level three. But who certifies that? I don't I don't think anybody does. And here's my Like, here's my reason why they should be certified. I don't think there should be draconian rules that um, mess with innovation, but I do think there should be oversight. But here's my reason why. If I am an app developer and I want to write a flashlight app and, you know, send it off to the, the Apple App Store, I have to get approval before that will go into the App Store. Like, I just can't put it up on Apple's App Store. And it's a flashlight app. I mean, sure, I could be a hacker and put a bunch of uh, malware inside that flashlight app. But if I'm working on pure intentions, I still have to get that overlooked and uh, approved before I can do that. And I don't think auto manufacturers, and I'm including all of them, not just Tesla, I don't think that auto manufacturers should be any different because there might be some manufacturers out there that don't have the same testing, uh, rigorous testing that Tesla does or some of these other auto manufacturers. And eventually, if left unchecked, they could really hurt somebody or kill them. So I think it is important for them to be certified. I think it is important for them to have some sort of uh, rules, not just guidelines, but rules to follow. And again, I don't think this should be so... uh, so much red tape that it stifles innovation, but a little oversight is not a bad thing. Before we get to the questions and discussion with Jessica Kirsch, I do want to thank Dale for emailing. Um, we, Brad and Sierra and I had a discussion last week on uh, whether the Gulf of Mexico was its own body of water or whether it was part of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Dale emailed, gave us an answer And everybody saw it a different way. (laughs) So, Dale, very nice of you to do the research. Very nice of you to answer. 
I will say it 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 cleared up nothing in terms of everybody t- interpreted it to um, validate their point, which is, you know, that's what happens when you think you're right. You'd, <laughs> you could have flat out said, this is exactly what it is. And everybody would have uh, uh, twisted it to their ends. <laughs> but I do thank you. And I do appreciate you emailing and, and letting us know. All right, let's jump right into those questions from the DTNS audience and uh, the discussion with Jessica Kirsch and the Woodpecker. Jessica Kirsch, welcome back to the show. Hi, Bodie. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, man. You know, I I adore having you on the show. That's a bad way to say that. I love having you on the show. <laughs> it's always a good time to come on and, and talk with you. And I am just honored to be a part of this. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited because today we're going to talk about some of the questions, follow-up questions that we received from the when I was on the Daily Tech News show with Allison Sheridan, Rod Simmons, Howard Yermish. So I'm really excited that we're gonna we're gonna read these emails to you. Most of them were sent to Tom uh, Merritt, who runs the DTNS show. I was very honored and pl- super thrilled to be on that show. The there are people that I've listened to for many, many, many years, and so b- to be able to share some virtual space with them was an honor. But uh, yeah, so Tom followed, forwarded out some questions, follow-up questions to the group. I said, I'd be happy to address these on Kilowatt. And he just continued sending me questions as they came in. I should probably do questions more often because I do get them. And I just normally chat with people over email. And then I never mention it on the show again. So I should probably do this kind of thing more often. New segment alert. Yeah. <laughs> Potential segment alert. Mm-hmm. Then the last... um Question was written by Michael, and he hit me up on Twitter. And it's more of a comment than a, a question. So, but we're going to go through these. Chris writes, "Good overview of the positives. Wish you would have included some counterpoints, i.e., accident repair costs, insurance limitations, and the big one, end of life issue that no one wants to talk about. EVs are just as bad or worse for the environment at this point. And I think he was saying our EVs." But I don't know. I don't want to interpret what Chris was writing there. Thanks, Chris, so much for that question. Yes. So ICE vehicles versus electric vehicles in terms of, let's see, he mentioned accident repair costs. At this point, if you get in an accident with a Tesla or I don't know about other electric vehicle companies, but I'm assuming it's similar because of the battery pack technology is still so new and revolutionary at this point, uh, just like all other tech as it enters the market, it, it comes in at a very high price. And then over time, as competitors um, come into the marketplace, it drives down the costs, right? And once a vehicle is damaged in an accident, an electric vehicle, the not only the um, repair costs of the actual damage or the, the body of the vehicle is higher than what an internal combustion engine vehicle would likely be. So yes, the repair costs are higher 
it may take three weeks to get um, a front headlight, you know, produced by Tesla. Um, Everyday Astronaut's a really great example of that. He was in an accident. Somebody hit his car. Uh, He was not in the car. And it took three months for Tesla to repair it. So it was backlog of uh, parts. So that's a really good point. I don't know about insurance, but you do make a good point there, Chris, that battery technology, when battery cells are damaged in an accident, there is a lot of a lot of work to be done in how those battery packs are transported from the accident scene to the recycling center and how that recycling process goes about. So it's still something that I, um, I definitely think it, it should be addressed and you, you, it's good that you brought it up. So um, I don't know if I answered the question. You're right. And we'll get to accident repair costs. And I should have told you this. We'll get to that a little bit later in the, the show. Because uh, Allison Sheridan did post uh, a picture of what uh, the shop rates were in her area of for t- repairing a Tesla, and it was specifically for a Tesla versus regular vehicles or regular mm-hmm. ice cars. Elon said because he replied to Everyday Astronaut, and he said, "We're getting better at this." And you're right; when somebody would need a part, they would ship it from China. They build it, ship it from China, and mm-hmm. then it would you know, eventually wind its way into a, uh, a repair center. And that took a very long time. Tesla was supposed to have these parts, like the most used ones kind of staged around, you know, like the United States, you know, Canada, Europe, that kind of thing. I don't know if that's actually happened yet or not, because people are still complaining about how long it takes to get their Teslas fixed. Um, but they know based on accident data at this point, which vehicles or which parts based on what kind of damage they're going to need. And they, they probably have enough information where, they be, where they're going to be able to predict what they're going to need. But at this point, they are still having a very difficult time getting that stuff out there. So that is valid. Uh, let's see here. Chris Opa answered all your questions. Oh, you know what? End of life. So in a lot of cases, if you go to companies that are big into converting or selling you parts to convert your vehicle. Like the, let's just use a, a microbus, like a VW microbus. You can convert that to electric fairly easy. So a lot of those cells at the end of life, some of them are still good and they'll package them back up either, whether that be for um, some sort of storage or they'll repurpose them in the, the point of like, if you had an accident and the battery, the car's wrecked, but the, the battery pack is still good. They'll harvest those, those battery cells and they will uh, repackage them and sell them into things like that. So it's not like the batteries go into the landfill or they're not supposed to anyway, because EV companies want to be environmentally friendly. And if there's like 20 Teslas sitting in the Phoenix landfill, that's going <laughs> to look really bad. Uh, versus J.B. Straubel, who is the chief technology officer for Tesla. He left and then started uh, Redwood Materials, and they actually recycle these parts And because there's a lot of rare earth metals that are very expensive and hard to get. And there's also, you know, some um, human rights concerns with, like, stuff like cobalt and stuff. They want to recover that as much as they possibly can. Now you know. The Now You Know channel, I mentioned them. Almost every episode, 
that I'm on here with you has an in-depth episode where they interview, they have uh, two people, two young people who have started a company where they are discussing this very concept um, because so much more goes into moving the vehicle from the scene when there's a battery pack involved versus a fossil fuel car where, you know, when the engine is, is extinguished, there could be a fire at the scene, but once it's extinguished, it's not necessarily combustible, combustible. Um, so there, yeah, there's, there's still a lot to be learned, but they have a really great episode and I can't, I just Googled, but I'll get you the name of the company maybe for my next Kirsch rant. We'll, we can talk about it. To paint a picture that EVs are the, the savior of transportation is to not paint an accurate picture at all. Like everything has positive negatives Correct. in a electric vehicle, especially the ones that uh, we're most familiar with, which is Tesla. You don't, you don't have to do as much maintenance on it. However, if you get in an accident, you got to wait way longer than you would for a regular vehicle for an ice car to get it fixed. It's a, there's a give and take and it's kind of how much nonsense do you want to deal with really when it comes down right. to, and, and what is your overall goals when you get these vehicles? Right. I did my oil change and that is a pain in the butt, right? I, I do my oil changes and I'm going to do brakes here pretty soon. But I also got hit down in Texas, like everyday astronaut did on the beach, parked, but not, it was not severe like his in my internal combustion engine, Hyundai Kona. And somebody backed into my car, I was not in it. And I had to have it repaired. And it, it took uh, multiple weeks and it was just the front bumper, right? But they ended up uncovering a bunch more damage underneath. And and at this point, it was the insurance company backlog um, that was, they had to approve the additional damage find in parts of repair. So, you know, I, the maintenance on my car is a pain in the butt. It is. Those oil changes are not fun to do. And it still took a long time for it to be repaired. So like you said, there's trade-offs, but I look forward to the day where I have a clean vehicle, cleaner, excuse me, vehicle that I don't feel like I'm polluting the environment when I turn it on just to have my air conditioning run here in Arizona kind of thing. That's just my opinion. At the, at the end of the DTNS episode, Tom asked everybody who should buy an electric vehicle other than the, the standard answer of everybody. And my personal opinion is you should buy the vehicle that's right for you. Um, and we'll talk more yes. about that in our next question. Um, mm -hmm. But throughout this, there's no definitive answers. We got questions on insurance and questions on this and questions on that. And there's, there's no one answer that we're going to be able to give you that is going to be accurate in every situation. It's going to be how much of a, how much do you want to deal with the hassle? It's a lifestyle thing. I, you know, and then there's the trade-off of having to take the time to sit and charge yeah. for 40 minutes. Um, because I mapped out if I were to have driven from Phoenix to Boca Chica, Texas, I, I 
did it with um, tracking my mileage and my fuel and my average miles per gallon and all of that stuff, my speed, my time, all that stuff for both trips. And then I went back and I, I tried to map it with the supercharger. I didn't try, I did. How it would have uh, better route, a better recommended by the Now You Know channel. And I saw how much time I would was recommended to spend at each supercharger or charger if I were to be in a Tesla. It would have added at least two hours more to my 19-hour drive for sitting and waiting on the charge. So battery technology is definitely something that as it evolves and as battery recharge gets faster and faster, it's coming soon, everybody. It's There are companies that are, are working on getting it to go. Uh, Atlas Motor Vehicles, they're a great example with the 15-minute battery recharge. That will be a game changer. But until then, something to think about. Yeah, and as we get not only battery technology improves, but we get more charging stations. It's not going to be nearly as big of a deal, but you're right. Time wise, it does make a big difference while you're, when you do find a charger, how much time you have to sit there, it can make a difference. I think Sierra and Brad said it added four or five hours to their trip for charging. And they were stopping at hotels in when they went to, um, man, I can't remember the little city they were in, but it was just South of Houston. Okay, so the next question comes from Norm. Norm writes, Hey all, love the discussion on electric vehicles, but surprised there was no mention of hybrids. I think the jump from electric from I think the jump from electric from full EV might be tough. So as a person from the hybrid perspective might have helped. We just got a hybrid for exactly that reason, that the jump to EV wasn't for us right now. Also, maybe somebody with kids on the panel would have helped. I know when we head to LA to visit my family, we want as few stops as possible. So that was another factor stopping us from getting an EV. But I still feel like I'm better educated on the EVs. Great job. How would you respond? This is a very good point. So electric vehicles, this goes back to is an EV right for everybody? Uh, the answer is no. Some people don't even want to deal with an EV for a variety of reasons, whether it's political or whether they just feel more comfortable with an ICE car. But my mom lives in Alaska. So a Tesla is not going to be the best option for my mom because she drives from her little community in Alaska to Anchorage and back. And I don't think there's probably a charger or a supercharger in between that route. There wasn't the last time I was there, which was like four years ago. But a hybrid would be a really good option for my mom. Something like the Chevy Volt, which they discontinued. But you can plug it in like it's an EV. And then when the battery gets low enough, but you still need to drive, there's a little gas generator that charges the battery back up. So you're still kind of running on electricity, but it's a good option for people like my mom. And there are many, this is just one example, but there are many types of hybrid configurations out there uh, that, that just kind of handle that problem a little bit differently. And if you are looking to purchase a vehicle and you're like, you know, I don't think electric vehicles right for me right now. Don't just look at one hybrid because there are so many different hybrid options like the Volt versus, uh, I think the, it was a Mazda just announced, and we're going to talk about the electric version and, uh, the main part of the show, but Mazda just announced, I think it was the MX eight 
which is a fully electric vehicle, but they also have a hybrid hybrid version that will have the Mazda rotary engine in it. So there's lots of really cool things that are that's out there. You just need to find what works for you and really, and I don't want to knock on salespeople, but really go do your research um, and don't necessarily listen to what the salesperson is telling you until you figured out which is going to be the best option for you. What do you think? Yeah. I say, like you said, arm yourself with knowledge before you go in. I don't know enough about hybrid technology to fully comment on that part of the question, but I would like to address, uh, I think it was a really great point that having a person, an electric vehicle owner with kids on the panel, I wasn't on the panel. However, that's a really good point. So I have a subscriber whom asked how far the drive was for me and how it went. And he was asking me because he's coming from Los Angeles. I'm coming from Phoenix. So a couple more hours, I think it was three more hours that would be added on to his trip going to Boca Chica if he were to drive in his Tesla Model X with his family. He has two young kids. And after some discussion, he decided that he would fly his family. And I asked why. And he said, with the two young kids stopping and charging, and he just, at that point, he couldn't see it being worth it, worthwhile, not worth it, but uh, that was a challenge. So he decided that they would fly into Brownsville, Texas, the, the closest international airport, and stay in a hotel. You know, I, I mean, I have kids and my kids were terrible travelers. Like they're monsters. They were monsters in the airplane. They were monsters in the airport. And they were like one, two, and three years old, you know, at this time. At somewhere around four, they got better. But it used to be a nightmare travel with my kids. It didn't matter if we were flying. didn't matter if we were driving. It was awful. And I love my children, but they just like, they were little kids. They can't sit still. So there, I pull up an article from on Clean Technica, and it's by Joe Wachanas. Man, Joe, if you were listening to this show, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I'm so sorry. But he basically, he wrote an article that said, eight days, two kids, 2,700 miles, one Tesla, lessons learned from a cross-country EV road trip. So he has a Model 3. He has a family of four, a five-year-old and a one-year-old. I have twins, so I can relate to this on a lot of different levels, right? They drove from Oregon to Ohio. Their plan was they're going to stay in Airbnb. So I don't know if this answers your question exactly. Here's here's their lessons learned. First, in the Model 3 with children, there is room for everything. So that's great, right? You know, especially with twins, uh, we had a massive stroller that could, was would not fit in a lot of cars. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why we bought our Mazda was because the stroller would fit in the car easily. It would not fit in my Jetta that I had at the time. So they were able to pack their food, kids stuff, any sort of, um, you know, a pandemic uh, things that they needed, emergency meals, all that stuff, right? So they were able to pack that into their their vehicle. 
this is lesson two was trust the car. This is something that Rod said several times. Rod pulled in, has pulled in to superchargers with 1% battery life left. And he's just like, trust your car, trust your car. Your car knows what it's doing. It'll tell you, slow down. And this article pretty much says that same thing. Trust your car. It knows what it's doing. If it tells you to slow down, slow down. You're going to get to where you're going. It might be a little bit slower than you expected, but trust your car. Lesson three was charge overnight, which is not something you can do if you're just traveling to from like Phoenix to San Diego. That's like a six-hour drive. And then he says the the Tesla supercharger is unbelievable and much cheaper than gas. This is one of the things that we talked about in the the roundtable. Sierra and Brad have never paid more than $10 for charging. I think Rod mentioned that he had never paid more than six or seven dollars. Like average, he pays about six seventy-five, he said, for for charging. So Oregon to Ohio is a is a pretty decent trip. And I believe then in the article they said they would have spent about three hundred and eleven dollars on on gas and they only spent ninety-five dollars on charging. So not too shabby. And of course, some of that charging was while they were at Airbnbs, so they didn't pay for that electricity. But just in general, you're not going to get gas at your Airbnb either. Oh, yeah. Good Um, point. Well said. And with with my kids, even at eight, with my kids, we usually pick about a halfway point where we're like, okay, you can get out and run around for a little bit. This is a great time to charge. The lesson five in this article is that Tesla superchargers are mostly located in ugly places. Um, I, I've seen some in ugly places and I've seen some in really nice places. So I, I would guess that depends on where you're traveling. But the picture they show in the article is basically a old uh, parking lot with nothing <laughs> around it. And you can kind of see a McDonald's in the background. I'm hoping that petrol and gas stations will be converted to electric vehicle charging stations. Not hoping. They will be. Lesson six, 300 miles of range is amazing, um, but you're not, you're really not going to see that. Uh, their experience was they received about 220 to 240 miles, and that's because of the weight in the car. That's because of, you know, uh, you know, how much wind, how much, how many hills they're climbing or descending. That also has to do with air conditioning and heating and that kind of thing. So uh, they did see some range slippage because of that, uh, which is normal. The same thing happens in a, in a gas vehicle. It's just, it's not printed out there for you to see it like it is on a Tesla. And then lesson seven was EV road trips are great for kids you know what? I'm, I would be inclined to agree. Charging parking lots, the ugly ones usually work out really well because there's a spot for the kids to run around. And that's something that we used to do with my kids is we would just run them like in the, uh, like, uh, if we could find a pet co or something like that, they can go look at the pets and all that stuff. Lesson eight, coordinate all stops needs with charging. So if you need bathroom breaks, you need food, you need whatever, coordinate that around the charger so you don't have to stop twice as best as you can. And I, I thought that was a really good article. And I'll put this article in the show notes so that everybody can read it if they would like. Did you have anything to add, Jessica? Nope. <laughs> 
I'm trying to collect myself from the woodpecker situation I have going at my house. Yes. Sorry, everybody. Jessica has a, a woodpecker that is driving her bananas. Banana. There, it just showed up again. Okay. So I'm going to, yeah. On to the next one. Yeah. Okay. So Kevin writes, and he has four different questions here. And some of it we've already covered. So we'll just go brief over it. But Kevin writes, Hi, Tom. I like the roundtable show you put together regarding EVs. After listening to the show, I thought a few more questions that none of your contributors brought up that I think the audience would at large would benefit from. First question, what is the additional cost of car insurance for owning an electric vehicle? How much did it go up or did it stay the same? I realize this is largely dependent on where you live, but would still like to hear a cross-section of the panelists since they are spread around the United States. I currently own an EV, but I am interested in purchasing. I currently do not own an EV, but I'm per- currently interested in purchasing a Model Y. I assume car insurance would go up, and I'd factor up the uptick in insurance costs would eat into the savings from the gas. I think that the thought would be that it would be more expensive to insure an electric vehicle because um, not all the vehicles. It's hard to to talk about electric vehicles and not just go right to Tesla because they have pioneered the way. But I know that Tesla insurance is rolling out across the country. I know of somebody specifically who I met on Clubhouse and Twitter that has Tesla insurance for his Model S. He pays 69 US dollars a month versus somebody who was in the same Clubhouse room who's in California and has Tesla insurance, and he pays $140 per month for his uh, Model so S. So both people are insurance. in California, and uh, both people. One is in, sorry, one is in uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The $69 one. And in comparison to my <laughs> insurance, I pay $135 per month for my Hyundai Kona ICE vehicle. So, and I'm a great driver. I've never had, I've had one ticket in my life and never been in an accident, knock on wood, except for being hit. Yeah. So you're like insurance is a black box. You never really know why things happen. My insurance this last time went up, like I was paying around $600 every six months, six to $700 every six months for both vehicles. And then like it, they slowly jacked it up and eventually it was like, it was like $900 this last time. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. Now I pay like four thirty five for two vehicles, full insurance and the whole bit, which is really cheap. Right. But it has to do with your yeah. credit score, your location that you live, your driving record and the value of the new car versus the value of the old car. Right. So if you drive a 1988, um, let's see, Mercury, uh, hoopty. Hoopty, yeah. You're say. probably not paying a lot of money in insurance versus uh, when you buy a newer car, especially one that's considered to be in that luxury market, you're going to pay a little bit more. Brad and Sierra, I talked to them. They said their price went up when they bought their Model 3, but they did have a hoopty prior to that, and, t- and Sierra wasn't on their insurance plan. So that wasn't an apples to apples comparison, but it went up. By a bit. I don't know if they're comfortable with me saying how much. Rod Simmons, who does the SMR podcast, he said that his insurance went up by about $30 a month. 
So Rod lives on the East Coast. He lives in Maryland. Chris also mentioned, um, has anyone been in a fender bender? How hard, you know, how expensive is it to get parts replaced? Allison uh, did briefly mention this. I don't know if she mentioned it on the show, but she mentioned it afterwards. She was in an accident. She was able to get her car fixed in, I think, 10 days. I could be wrong on the on the timeline here because everything's kind of getting a bit fuzzy since I read that. But she posted the body shop prices, right, and what it costs to get your vehicle repaired. So for just a regular vehicle, paint and labor is $58 an hour. Specifically for Tesla, it's $115. Um, framework is $85 an hour for a regular car for Tesla. It's 115 aluminum, 125 for both, uh, mechanical electric. It was 155 for a Tesla, 134, a, uh, ice vehicle paint was 40 versus $50 on a Tesla per, per paint. And then storage was $135 on both per day. So in some cases like frame, uh, and the body labor, the cost is quite a bit higher. In other cases, they're pretty comparable. Third question. Uh, the Verge reported on Tesla's being bricked a few months ago because the memory chip inside was full. I believe the car still ran, but the center console wouldn't operate. This was a while back, and I'm a bit lazy on the details. How do you feel about this? Does this uh, situation scare you or damage uh, its view of the company's ability to foresee future problems in the EV uh, space. Do you have thoughts on this? Um, my personal take on that? No. Yeah. I mean, all cars have issues and the issues um, in this case, there was only, there was less than 20 complaints to the national highway transportation safety administration. Um, however, that doesn't mean that more people weren't having that problem. Uh, and there is a lot of technology rolled into a Tesla. So something like this could potentially make the car not drive. There is always that possibility, especially when you have the Model 3, where your speed and everything is based on that that center console. If you can't see it, um, it it's pretty much useless in terms of knowing how fast you're going. And in the future, you know, Tesla's not going to have the little shifter on the side. It's all going to be on that that console. So that's going to be problematic. But my personal opinion on this is that the the issue that the car is having isn't as a big isn't as big of a deal as how the company takes care of that problem. So Tesla's, uh, I believe they've announced the recall on this if they haven't already fixed this problem because it was a few months ago. And you know, I I would assume. Uh, that they're going to make good on it because Tesla doesn't want uh, that, those kind of headlines. But every vehicle has problems. I've never bought a brand new vehicle or a vehicle of any kind, I guess, that I didn't have to take it back to the dealer for problems. Even the smallest of, of things, you know, uh, and this is a screen related issue. Yeah. And I think if it were a, a concern for safety, for example, if there was an issue with the braking system, the de- you know, degenerative braking system, went out, that would be something that I would have concern over. I still probably wouldn't lose faith in Tesla. I have so much faith in Tesla because of their pioneering, but it is something to definitely address. And um, it's a good question to be asked. Yeah, it's it's less of a, for me, it's just less of the problem and more of how they handle it. Yeah. 
no, Kevin had some good questions. And this kind of runs back into the the same uh, answer as I had before. But he's interested in the Model Y and some YouTubers who got the first and second run production models of the Model Y, they documented poor quality control. And this is something that Tesla has definitely struggled with and has is definitely many class action lawsuits from the Model 3 and from the Model Y about these problems, the paint jobs, the misaligned uh, back seats. There's like the misalignments and the panel get yeah, panel gap. Yeah. And he, he mentioned, Kevin does mention that d- despite all this, everybody still loves their car, but they still have these problems. Right. And I believe I haven't heard of a case where Tesla has outright refused to fix anybody's issue. There was a, a class action lawsuit in Canada where there were some paint problems. And I don't know that Tesla came right out and said, we're going to fix this. And I don't know how that class action lawsuit is going at the moment. But in terms of the in terms if everybody can notice that, that tapping in the background i think you should just you should keep it in i'm going to, keep to it make on. it is jessica <gasps> this is her um what's that underground poe uh raven this is her uh, raven there's a woodpecker outside <laughs> of her her house that is constantly banging uh, its little beak into the side of her house and it you can Watch her slowly go mad on the video, which isn't posted here, but youtube.com forward slash Jessica curse. Watch Jessica go mad. I'm live right now on Twitter and people are watching. Help. Okay. So, um, yes, people still love their Teslas. I, I think overall Tesla does a good job and many automakers do a good job at correcting the issues that that need to be corrected in terms of time and how many times you have to take it back. And, you know, that varies from service center to service center as far as Tesla and other companies go. And then are you ready for the last one? I am so ready. This morning, uh, Patreon supporter Elon Muskie, also known as Michael, had a, a little uh, tweeted me this morning and he said, I love the discussion. Wondering about the whole supercapacitor thing, because I mentioned on DTNS that Tesla uses supercapacitors to help save uh, the battery. So the capacitor gets stored with energy. When you do that launch that everybody loves, that gets the thrill, that energy doesn't come directly from the battery necessarily. That comes from the supercapacitor. That helps the longevity of the battery for sure. For um So I mentioned that, and I mentioned that they purchased Maxwell Technology as a result to get some of these um, super ultra capacitors or super capacitors that Maxwell has. And Michael wrote that um, love discussion, wondering if the whole super capacitor thing actually is actually happening. Uh, He thought that Elon Musk swore off the super uh, capacitors and ultra capacitors in the acquisition in, in favor of like the dry battery electrode technology that Tesla is using in the 4680 battery. I think Elon did mention that the ultra capacitors were less of the reason was it was less of a reason they bought Maxwell technology. The bigger reason was for the drive battery electrode technology, but I still think that they're using or planning on using those ultra capacitors because they were considered as far as I remember. And this was, I mean, when did this happen? 2019. So we're looking at almost two years ago. Those ultra capacitors, that technology was still considered to be best in class. Michael's very versed in this kind of stuff. So if you have other information, Michael, let me know. 
but I'm pretty sure, yes, you're, you're right. Um, but in terms of using the ultra and supercapacitors, I still think they're planning on using those for the vehicles. Does the woodpecker have a comment? <laughs> Does the woodpecker have a comment? How much wood could a woodpecker peck if a woodpecker could peck wood? <laughs> if you know how to get rid of a woodpecker, please go to youtube.com forward slash Jessica Kirsch and leave a comment on her videos. So That's, that please help. The woodpecker does not have a comment, and I don't know enough on this subject matter, to honestly, uh, or the situation to comment. So I think that it was a great question, though. It was a great question. Um, Michael is honestly one of the the funniest people that I communicate with, and we've only been communicating for a couple weeks. He, he makes me laugh on a regular basis. He's a funny dude. I love it. Good people. We need more good people, funny people, authentic people. I love it in this world. Agreed. Jessica Kirsch, would you like to tell everybody what you're up to? Up to and including little house living, moving to Texas. Possibly. <laughs> making YouTube videos. Sure. Yeah. What you got? Uh, what am I up to? So yeah, I am currently in, the, in a situation where I'm looking at potentially buying a camper vehicle trailer or something and living in that down in Texas to um, bring coverage of the Starship Evolution, the SpaceX Starship prototyping evolution, or renting down there or potentially building a tiny house, which, yeah, so that's a, a big thing for me right now. But I am documenting my daily life things right now. I'm live on YouTube trying to figure out the, the woodpecker. So um, I am doing a lot of different things and you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jessica Kirsch. That's my main place. I'm on Twitter. I'm everywhere. But I uh, encourage you to go follow me or go subscribe to the channel. And Bodhi, I wanted to thank you so much for having me on. Jessica gave all of her information, but it's also found in the show notes under friends. So if you, for whatever reason, can't remember youtube.com forward slash Jessica Kirsch or Jessica Kirsch underscore, wait, Jessica underscore Kirsch yep. for Twitter, you can uh, go to the show notes and you'll find links to that. So thank you very much, Jessica. Thanks, Bodie, for having me. I will see you on the next Kirsch rant. All right, everybody, that is it for me. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening. I know we've had some really long shows lately, and everybody who actually listens to these monstrosities, I really appreciate you so much. I want to thank again Tom Merritt, Sarah Lane, Amos, and uh, Roger Chang for having me on the Daily Tech News Roundtable EV. I want to thank Allison Sheridan, Rod Simmons, Howard Yermish, for being so kind when I was on the show. And afterwards, we've had exchanged some emails here and there. And they are just very, very wonderful people. So I encourage you to go and check out uh, Rod Simmons with the SMR podcast. 
Allison Sheridan with the Nozilla podcast or podfeet.com and go to howardyarmish.com. I'll put all their links in the show notes so everybody has access to it. And then, of course, go to youtube.com forward slash Jessica Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H, and check out what she's doing. Thank you, Jessica, for being on the show and hanging out. I really appreciate it. If you want to e- email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can find me on Twitter at 918digital. That's it for me. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thanks so much, and I will talk to you next Friday. Mm-hmm.